Hi, I'm April. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords. Or Topic Beasts. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. I'm a Topic Beast. You, you, We talked about this, but I didn't agree to it. You can be a Beast Lord. <laughs> oh, that's actually oh, maybe April, better. Take, take Beast Lord. Take it before someone else gets it. Okay, also, yeah. I'm, all right, I'm a Beast Lord. Okay. The Ryan, spreadsheet want- where we list our topics is called yeah. Topic Bucket, and I thought the show was called Topic Bucket until just now. So can I be the top? Can I be the bucket? Is the bucket taken? <laughs> you can be the bucket. I'll Hell be the yeah. Beast Lord carrying the bucket. I feel good about the show already, Jim. What are you? What kind of Lord or Beast or container lives inside of your heart? I think I have to own the Topic Lord's name because I picked it. I think, like, I have no choice but to accept that everybody else can fly and have their own wondrous name, and I'm rooted to the ground. I'm going down with the ship. You wouldn't believe how many times I argued with him against Topic Lords. Well, because you, you thought I was being serious. <laughs> this is a, this is a <laughs> continual problem you, in our marriage. Right. That's a mistake you and, and literally anyone who's met joke, him has ever made. like, literally 98% of the time, and I am like... How dare you? <laughs> but this like, is the this is the two percent though. That's his whole thing. Yes, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to call it Topic Farts or whatever. And I went, oh, wouldn't that be stupid? And then now look around you, the yep. walls are closing in. You didn't even know they were there. It's true. <laughs> it's very smelly in here. Yeah. Ryan, do you uh, want to introduce yourself or perhaps plug something? Sure. Uh, so my name is Ryan Ike. I am a composer and sound designer for video games. I've worked on stuff like Reigns Game of Thrones and Jim's very own Frog Fractions 2 and Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Lots of stuff. And I don't know. If you go to just my, my Twitter handle uh, is Ryan Ike Composer because I'm an idiot and I didn't know what Twitter was when I got on it. So it's name plus job. You, know, you, can, you can change it. I, I mean, I, it's pretty descriptive and good. Much like Topic Lords. Much yeah. like to- the topic bucket. Um, so yeah, so that's, if you go there, you can hear me make dumb jokes about Spider-Man and also find my work. Um, I totally thought your Twitter handle was like, wouldn't you like to live deliciously? <laughs> that's that's my not? very clever Halloween name based on the witch. Right. You see. Wait, wait, does it say, would you like? Yes, it's a, it's a pun. Oh, it's Jim. a oh, delicious that's, pun. That's so good. I, I just, I'm pretty proud of it. I just, here. my brain auto-corrected over the, the Ike and th- thought it was just the quote from the movie. Yeah, I think it's only when people squinted it do they realize that I, I'm getting real, real deep in the weeds with my last name, Halloween Twitter handle. That's pretty good. Thank you. I'm impressed. April. Hi, I'm April. Uh, I'm, I'm a park ranger. Um, probably the first one you've had on the show. And I'm also Jim's wife. And I don't have a SoundCloud. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but I do have a Twitter account that you can follow me on in which I mostly just retweet, like, I don't know, lately it's been a deer prancing across the beach. So that was pretty cool. It was pretty delightful. It was, it was some good I content can, I can vouch creation. For this, I can vouch for this deer. Um, and yeah, it's uh, I think my Twitter account is April Sore, as in like, uh, you know, portmanteau of April as, and dinosaur. As if you're from the Mesozoic. Right. It's, it's super creative. You know, not every girl from the early 2000s did that to their name. 
Just to be clear, I didn't marry someone who was born in the early 2000s. To be clear, I meant like when I made my Twitter account. I actually have no idea when I made my Twitter account. I don't even know how old Twitter is. But you regret every day since then because it's Twitter. I feel like you really missed an opportunity not making... You could have made your handle April Storm Dancer Park Ranger, which would have been... Because that would have been great because then like what you see is what you get, you know? It's it's true, but also my last name wasn't Storm Dancer at the time, and I wasn't a park ranger when I made my Twitter account. I'm pretty sure. Do you guys want to start with some, with some topics? Yeah, let's let's get into that bucket. I'm I thought this was a bucket the whole time, and I'm married to that idea. Fishing something out of the bucket right now, uh, April. Uh-huh. Uh, tell us about inventing sexual, secular rituals for children. Jesus, that was almost bad. Wow. wow. We, we skirted real close to beefing that right out the gate, didn't wow. we? Wow. So he said inventing secular rituals for children. That's that's exactly what I said. Yes. That's 100%. Um, so, so some background. Um, I was raised... Uh, Lutheran and you know we went to church every Sunday or almost every Sunday and and some of the things that I really enjoyed about church in general is like there's this you know there's a sense of community there right you go and you see the same old people all the time um, and the same kids all the time and you get to like sing in a big room that's made for singing in um, and there's like a fancy organ playing behind <laughs> you at least there was for me um, like with an old lady in her stocking feet playing the like organ keys with her with her feet, so you know, cute. like that's it's you know, and we used to always go on um, Christmas Eve night for the Christmas Eve service. It was the only time we ever went to church at night, and we would sing songs, um, Christmas songs, you know, and we would always end every Christmas Eve. Um, every Christmas Eve service with all of us getting these like candles in our hands. And, um, we would like light the person's next to us candle. So we'd like pass the flame basically from the front of the church to the back. And then we would dim the church lights and sing silent night. And it was magical. Like every single year for as many years as I went to it. And it was always magical, even as an adult. Um, and now I don't go to church. So now I don't get that magic, you know? Right. So we are living in maybe the most likely place in the world that we could find like a secular humanist church to, to go. So this is something we could do. Um, I don't know if this, the mic is picking this up, but there is a cat trying to get into this room. This cat wants into the room really bad. Okay, I thought you just had like a cask of a Montiato, Montiato situation going on and like somebody was walled up in a catacomb somewhere adjacent to where you're recording. Well, that's that's pretty close, except the 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 walled up area is the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to the topic. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, you know, we have a kid now and I think that it's important for children to have a sense of community. I think it's important for children to, I think it's important for humans to have rituals. Like I have all sorts of tiny rituals that I've developed, you know, um, throughout my adult life that, you know, are, are there for grounding or there for, you know, relaxation or there for like gratitude, you know, all these small things. And I think that it's, 
really important that we consciously develop these these rituals for our son because you know the the research shows that children that grow up in religious atmospheres um, with religious communities they have better mental health they have better connection uh, with their communities they're overall happier people and you know I want my son to be kind. I want him to be happy. I want him to be connected to his community. So kind of creating the, the this atmosphere for him is something that I think about a lot. Yeah. Totally. I think that the atheists that I know, a lot of them, like, I was... And to be fair, I don't call myself an atheist. Sure. I call myself agnostic. Sure. Because I, I don't but, know. But I would call you an atheist. Yes. Because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I tell you what you don't believe in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the athe- a lot of the atheists that I know are reactionary atheists in that, like, maybe their parents were religious or they just have grown up in a religious envir- environment, which is to say the United States. Um, and they are practicing their atheism by f- fighting back against every aspect of religion. And I, I do think it's important to not throw all of spirituality out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, think that, I think that's a very good point. I, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't feel bitter about being raised in a, in a church. That's what my, you know, my mom thought, you know, my mom is still a believer and she thought that that was what was best for her children. We all do what we think is best for our children, yep. right? Yeah. It's just that I grew away from the church. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I realized one, like literally just realized one day, you know, that, wow, I don't actually believe this. Yeah. I've just been trying to force myself to believe it, like, and try to like pigeonhole the these ideas with into reality and it just didn't. It didn't fit yeah. anymore, and I couldn't make it fit. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I'd say that's similar to where I'm at too. Is that? Like, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't like hate all Midwest, of religion or anything. Right? Yeah. So we were we were raised Lutheran, but like it was partially because my parents like were sort of looking for what you're looking for. Like my dad's a little more religious than my mom, but neither of them is like super crazy, you know, hardcore Christian. They're just kind right. of like ambiently religious, and I think they wanted that same thing of like community and like learning to be a good person outside of just our family environment. Um, and for me, it was the combo of like the way that kind of Sunday school in my community was taught. There were plenty of good people there, but there were also a lot of people who, cause they just brought in like weirdos from my town, <laughs> you know, like anybody, like somebody from <laughs> right. a gas station coming and be like, I'm a Lutheran. Can I teach a class? And they'd be like, sure. And then that person <laughs> would say, so if you don't, a thing that was actually said to me as a kid, if you don't read the entire Bible cover to cover, you go to hell. And 10-year-old me raised a hand and was like, well, what if you're a good person and you tried your best and you just maybe missed a couple pages? And they were like, nope, that's hell for you. And wow, that was when my parents stopped sending us. But it was also like that was the kind of planting of the seed where it was like, I didn't I don't I didn't then. And I still don't now think that all of religion is bad or all spirituality is bad. But it was that kind of thing that kind of made me start to break with it. And then I had the same thing as you, April. I was just like, you know, I don't think I believe in this. And it's cool for people who do and who are practicing it without hurting others. And it enriches their lives. Yeah. Like, that's great. But what I wonder is, uh, how much has it become a situation where when you kind of are agnostic or atheist or you just don't really practice, how much has it become like where I'm at at work, where I work from home? And a lot of the experiences you get, like socializing and just kind of 
an automatic place to make friends that you get from having a workplace in, in many people's lives. That's yeah. just missing. Uh-huh. Like, how much is it that kind of thing? Where, like, if you don't yeah. have this big force in your daily life, you know, I guess that's what you're asking, but I, I, it, I think it hasn't occurred to me until you pose this question of, like, oh, wow, there's just this yeah. default place to meet people and have a community that's missing. Yeah, and it made me think about how do we foster a sense of community in our kid when when it's not in a church? Like, how do we get him involved locally um, in things? And so, I mean, and one easy thing for me is I work for a park district, and the park district does tons of volunteer work, you know? Mm-hmm. I can just get him volunteering in parks. And that not only is going to make him, like, a steward of the land, it is also going to, um, you know, introduce him to other other people who have, you know, like-minded ideals of, you know, caring for, caring for nature, which is, you know, something that's pretty important to me, um, considering my line of work, Yeah, you know? Um, so that's something that's like really simple, but that's still, you know, my, the, the park district that I work for spans two counties, you know, it's, there's like 80 something parks. That's not really a community in of itself. That's a big, huge area. So how do I even get them like involved in something even more locally? Do we volunteer at soup kitchens? Do we go to town hall meetings? You know? Yeah. And when you talk about going like to do events like this, uh, part of me recoils from that because I've been, and I think a lot of the world is in this position. I've been like for the past 10 years, doing most of my socialization in a really shallow way online and it's really draining. It's like really shockingly draining being on Twitter for a few hours a day. You just like, cause you, and I don't know if this, this, for some reason it didn't seem to be as bad like five years ago. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely gotten more toxic for sure. Right. I think the um, world wasn't as bad five years ago. And so there's that component that is just exposing us that, to that, more of the horrible parts all the time. That may be true. Yeah. yeah. And and like also I'm kind of stuck there because my livelihood kind of depends on having a public presence. Whereas I get to just not log into Twitter for two weeks and then I logged in a bunch yesterday and, you know, found that deer prancing. Right. What a great yeah. day. Um, and like most likely by the time it really matters, I'm guessing the world will kind of like look on social media in in like 10 years, hopefully maybe 20, the world will look on social media as like how literally everybody smoked all the time in the thirties and (laughs) forties. Yeah. Or put 14 sticks of butter in like every recipe you made in the fifties. And they were like, right. Mm. I, gosh, I hope so. So I'm, I'm hoping by the time Winston is cognizant of this stuff, like we'll have a, I don't think social media is going to go away and I don't think it should, but I do think like as a culture, we need, we need to figure out how to engage with it in a healthy way. Yeah. And it's also tr- one thing I was thinking about as, as a admitted like non-parent other than a dog parent. Um, oh, that counts. <laughs> the other day Jim looked at me and he was like, you know how sometimes like you used to just look at Willow and Willow is my dog that died recently and you mm. look at her and you would be like, oh, she's such a good girl. And I would look at her and she was just laying on the floor. She was just being a dog. Just being a dog. And I, like <laughs> Jim just never understood that. Right. And he was like, now I get it. I look at Winston and I'm like, oh, he's such a good boy. I'm like, yeah, Willow was my baby. Like yeah. she was, she's my baby girl. <laughs> yeah. 
Totally. And I do that constantly. Like I'm unabashedly yeah. out loud telling them how they're my perfect children all the time because I'm a millennial. Uh, and that's just what's going to happen. But like even dogs yeah. have built in like, you know, I'm in Seattle. There's dog parks all over the place. Like there's built in places for them to literally have socialization in a community. And you don't yeah. have to worry about the thing you have to worry about with human kids. Uh, if you choose to worry about it, which I think parents should at least try, is that like I was thinking you could do things like take them to, you know, maybe not this specific thing, but like take them to Comic-Con or take them to a game convention or something. But like, are you pushing your interests or your kind of sphere on them when maybe they turn out to be like more of a jock or more into just like reading privately or whatever it is, you know, like, Mm -hmm. are you trying to give them a community that isn't going to end up being their own or that they will reject because you're pushing it on them unintentionally? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I did a little bit of reading about this and, you know, people have talked, people were saying, you know, some of the things that they're trying to kind of do with their children is going to like group yoga classes or do like meditation at home. The The whole idea of this didn't just like pop into my head, but what actually happened was I saw a an Instagram post by Amanda Palmer, who is an artist, um... And she's married to Neil Gaiman, who is a um, who's a writer, and they have a they have a young son. And last Christmas, I think he was like three at the time. Um, they took their kid to this thing in like New York City, um, and it was during like the Christmas season. And basically, their kid got to it was this beautiful like outdoor setting, and a labyrinth was set up of like stones and logs. Um, and the kids got to carry a candle through this labyrinth. And um, at the middle of the labyrinth was some sort of like, I don't know, I guess altar is one way of putting it. But it was basically just like a collection of like woodland type things. And the kids got kids got to have like a moment of like quiet reflection about like the solstice at the middle of this labyrinth. And her kid like freaking loved it. And she was talking about, you know, creating rituals for her son. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. What an amazing idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think one of the most important things to, to do here, and this is why we can't really plan too hard, is that we have to let him guide it. Yeah. It has to be something that he wants to do. Well, I mean, he might just want to play Minecraft all day. Right. And we don't get to just let him play Minecraft all day. Right. But, well, okay, so let's say we can, like, make him do it once. <laughs> do a new thing once, and if he likes that, then we can do it again. Okay, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> I'm, like, we're going to have to push him to do things. Like, we, we otherwise might. he might just do the easiest thing. Or... Well, he's going to want to do what he sees us doing. And if he sees us doing new things all the time, yeah, then he's going to want to do that. Yeah. At least at first. Probably should move to a new topic, huh? Yeah, you you wanna uh, shall we move to the next topic? We've got a we've got a segue here. Uh, Ryan, tell us about how playing a character in a tabletop RPG can make you be, be a better, more introspective person. Oh man, I had so many dumb ones, and you picked like the real ones, so now I have to actually put in some put in some work here. Um, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we've got some dumb ones coming up. We'll we'll do we'll do my real shit first. So, okay, I'm like the I'm like the idiot who just got in the last couple of years. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know this because I never shut up about it. I like just got into like D and D and Vampire the Masquerade yeah. are kind of my two big tabletop games. And I had never played before. I couldn't really find a group. And I was like, that's great for people who enjoy it. But I'm not really going to put in the effort to like 
learn a whole huge system and find someone to run it for me and all that stuff. And then it just kind of happened and it like instantly became like, oh, this is my favorite thing to do in my free time. Like my favorite, like hobby or at least one of, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. Like yeah, really, it's like, super really fun. I used to play D and D and my group kind of broke up because our DM moved to Washington, DC. Um, and I'm super sad. For the yeah. regular Topic Lords listeners, that was John Mystery. John Mystery from episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really his name? No. He just didn't want to give it. He didn't, he didn't want to. Well, he didn't want it to be public. He should change it. But then it would be public, <laughs> he I guess. He should change it. It's mm, better than his last that's name. The, that's the flaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the part of the thing is it's like this, especially in adult life, it's like you said, you lost your group. It's this crazy, delicate balance for adults of a certain age. Not that it's not hard for younger folks, but like to keep a group together, to find people you enjoy playing with, to find time to do it. And in my case, I got really lucky that both D&D and Vampire, the thing I play a lot more of, are run by people who happen to run it exactly the way I would want, which is much more based on like the story aspect and interesting like twists and like mysteries and like, especially like your character's development as a person in this fictional space. Like it's it's run in this way where it's like, let's all tell a story together and not necessarily in this way of like, let's get in as many combat situations as we can. And for people who like to play that way, great. But like, yeah, it's, this is told them again. And murder brigade. (laughs) Murder squad roll out. And you know, uh, so what happened to me was the thing that is apparently the conventional wisdom I learned is that your first character is just you. And my D and D character is like a wisecracking idiot. Who's a bad liar. Who is, you know, I'm not a thief, but other than that, like he's kind of just, I do like a lower voice and it's just me saying what I would say. And he's really fun to play. Sure. Right. Uh, and that's not really giving me a lot of introspection, but, um, my second character, my vampire one, and I promise I'll make this brief because hearing about other people's campaigns in an RPG is, is death uh, <laughs> is I was like, I wanted to make someone really different than me because it's, even in video games, I have trouble playing a mean or bad or evil or, you know, even hyper flawed character. And sometimes the game won't allow you to make that. But like, I just feel bad for all these polygons I'm saying mean things to, but I wanted right. to try it <laughs> that, you know, shapes have feelings too. And so I made, uh, in, in Vampire, I made basically like an, an anarchist teenage Irish girl who was turned when she was 19 in the 80s. So she's like stuck in this like arrested teenage development. So in this stage when like a lot of young people think they're invincible and like are really, some people can be really like brash and really like arrogant about oh, their yeah. capabilities. I, knew, I thought I knew everything when I was so, Oh my God, same. And I thought I was like a nice guy too, but like at, still was doing that and probably still do it a lot. But um, yeah, and then gets basically has to, I like the idea of making someone who had to become a fully fleshed out human being once she's already frozen in that state and is already a monster and has to like figure it out then. Uh, and it's been- yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And what's been really rewarding about it when I've kind of realized- is that like, even though I made somebody who, like, I love this character. If she dies in game, like, I'll probably like cry. Like, I'm that attached, but she's awful. And if I met her in real life, I would hate her guts. And I started yeah. to, <laughs> and I started to kind of analyze, like, why did I do that? And part of it was I just wanted the arc, right? I'm really enjoying the story. I love a flawed character who tries to kind of come back from it. And after playing for two years, she's only just now like 
clawing out of being this completely like lone wolf dirtbag who doesn't ever make any friends and doesn't think she needs anyone's help and can't admit she's ever wrong and is like coming out of that. But I was also like, what does this say about me that I would make someone like this who I wouldn't like in real life? And like, what are the, what are the attachments? You know what I mean? I'm still, I'm still kind of sussing that sort of thing out. There's, there's definitely just a certain amount of escapism happening there, you know? Yes. Or a a large amount of escapism. A a, a giant amount, yeah. It's also like, maybe it's the same impulse that makes a writer write a bunch of different characters because it would make a more interesting story. Yeah, I mean, she does sound really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, diversity is part of it. Like just, you know, playing someone who is so different from me and this is, you know, to people who are rolling their eyes who've played tabletop role playing like their whole lives and are like, duh. Don't worry, no nerds listen to this podcast. No dorks in our in our mutual friend groups listen to this. But you know, as someone who's coming into this in his you know early thirties, like this this is a revelation to me to be like, oh, in a way that it doesn't engage with me in like video games. This is part of why I've fallen for this so hard is that like she is so different from me in almost like every way, like different age group, different gender, entirely different personality. Like, what is that? Does one thought I've caught myself having a lot is like, does this say something about how I feel about myself that I am enjoying jumping into someone so completely different from me in a way that I love my original character, but I'm not quite as like completely absorbed when I'm playing the guy who's like me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and I really don't think it's like a self-loathing thing. I think it's just, this is the closest you can come to being like, what if I was awful? Well, Ryan, newsflash. <laughs> I got something to tell you. This is actually an intervention. But do you guys have experience with that? Like playing, you know, maybe in a, in a game or in any sense where you got to embody a character or write a character and you made someone really different from you and that was like, told you things about yourself or made you reflect on... I, I did it by accident once. I've played D&D like three times in my life. All one shots. Or at least for me, it was a one shot and maybe part of someone's larger campaign. But I was, I created a character for the session. I created a dwarf because I thought dwarves looked cute. And I went to a dwarf generator to pick my dwarf name. Mm. Um, And then the, the people I was in the session with was like, okay, so this scenario from the last session is that we've captured this goblin and we're trying to get information out of him. So you, the dwarf, since you dwarves hate goblins, you need to torture this guy to get the information we need. And it's okay because <laughs> goblins are inherent, are like by the laws of physics, are inherently evil. <laughs> Whoa. The laws of physics, huh? <laughs> yeah. Dark. <It's> <laughs> huh. Did you tor- tor- torture him? I, I, I did not torture the goblin. Oh, but that's very you. You wouldn't torture Yeah, him. I would not torture a goblin. So you didn't make a character that's not like you. I did. I just didn't have, I didn't follow through on it. Oh. I just didn't realize what I had oh, done. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. <laughs> you, you, but, so I think they were trying to shoehorn you in a way that, that I don't appreciate that like that. Because just because you're a dwarf doesn't mean you're like every other dwarf. You can right. be the dwarf that 
But they were trying nice to goblins. Maybe they were trying to help me RP. I don't know. Like I think that they were like, This is how dwarves are. You have to be like this. And right, you right. didn't know like By the laws of physics, dwarves laws. torture yeah. goblins. <laughs> they literally physically cannot not torture. Right. Yeah. <laughs> On one page yeah, of your yeah. fifth grade science book it talks about red shrift. And on the next page, dwarves kick the crap out of goblins at every opportunity. Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> right. Everyone I think, like, I, I don't want to put <laughs> hello. I don't want to put down, because that's not what I'm doing, whoever ran that game for you. But it's sort of, I get the impression, like, they really wanted this narrative that you do this to this goblin because maybe they had other story hooks or something. And it just feels like you were being funneled yeah. down this, this hole where you didn't get to explore the space and be like, even if my people hate their people, would I, how would I respond to that, you know, right. that the cultural strata in this game on my own terms rather than being told this is what you would do? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it feels like to me, you were maybe denied uh, a little bit of that. And this goes back to my saying how kind of lightning has to strike, I think, in my very limited experience for you to get like the perfect scenario for you in a role playing game like this. Like it sounds like whoever was running that probably running a great game, but maybe not running it in a way that let you explore that space the way you would have wanted. If that yeah. was what you were looking yeah, for. Right. Yeah. Whereas I'm lucky to be in a situation where like, that's, that's all we're doing. Like if I wanted to torture the goblin, that's what I would do. But if I wanted to be like buck tradition uh, or even try to like, you know, liberate the goblin from our horrible group, <laughs> like I could have done that and it might not have gone <laughs> great, but it would have been a choice. Yeah. Um, I've only played two campaigns in the first campaign that I played. Um, I did like a, Dungeons and Dragons, like fifth edition, like beginners pack, basically. It was like for beginner DMs and also beginner players. And they, it basically comes with characters for you and you just like pick one of them. Um, and I picked uh, the wizard and that was fun because I got to throw fireballs at everything. I was really good at burning sh- Shiza. We're marking uh, this one explicit. <laughs> okay. It's fine. All right. Oh, great. Yeah, I was really good at burning shit. Um, and, <laughs> and then in our second campaign, when, um, you know, we got to make our own characters, I did basically make myself. I, I made a druid character. She's a, a she's a she's a gnome, which I'm not a short person. So I guess that's not entirely me, but she's a tiny gnome um, and she's, a, you know, shapeshifter, turns into all form of beast and when she gets annoyed, she just turns into an animal and leaves the group. <laughs> just turns into a grouse and is like, peace out, losers. Yeah. She can't fly yet, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she often will just be like, whatever, I'm a fox now. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> oh, if only. Anyways, oh, I miss I miss playing Dewdrop. <laughs> Dewdrop is very good Do- name. Yeah, Dewdrop um, Honeysuckle. <laughs> Oh my god, how cute. Yeah, so like yeah. not to not to belabor it too much, but thinking I've been thinking a lot about not only what character you play, what that says about you. And I think any amount of introspection at all, even if you don't come upon any concrete answers, is is a good thing. Captain Therapy over here with his two months worth of sessions, like look out. But also like thinking about what types of characters you trend toward. You know, if you ha- if there's yeah. enough to have a pattern to be like, why did I make someone who is so different? this many times because now I've got enough different ones under my belt that I tend to make people of a different gender and often different race and different age and you know I'll make a lot of just the base swaths of who they are and where they're from as different for me as possible 
And I think one big revelation was like, that's not self-loathing. I don't think it's self-loathing at all. I think it's just like, it's cool to be something else because you're it's, you all the time, it's right? It's fun to pretend. Yeah. I, I think that none of us were like drama kids, right? Mm, no, not really. I was, a, I was a band dork, but not a drama kid. I kind of feel like I was pe- a journalism kid. People who were were the drama dorks in high school get get the same sort of effect by by playing a bunch of different roles in a play, for example. And they go they they learn the same sort of um, lessons that you're learning now. Then I th- it's also kind of like why kids play pirate. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose. They could play, like, librarian. Instead, they're swashbucklers <laughs> or or yeah. they play cowboys and not Indians because that's racist. <laughs> um, they, right. We got to phase that one out. But, cow- like, nobody cowboys plays... Cowboys and, and cows. <laughs> <laughs> it creates a relationship that's on less of an equal footing, but I'm into it. But but at least it's not racist. <laughs> but it's not racist. That's true. But like nobody plays like uh, let's all play middle manager at a CVS. Like nobody's gonna do that. I bet you there's a kid that does that. There's one kid who did that, and then there's, there's became a pirate. That that, ironically, and I love in real that life. kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that kid just can't stop talking like a pirate forever. Can't stop swashbuckling. All right, I wanted to talk about um, what piano key is most fun to jam in. Do you mean just any key of any scale, any key, but just on the piano specifically? Yes. Um, we've talked a little bit about this before in that you would ask me, like, I I'd said I played a little piano, and I, by which I mean, like, I kind of noodle with it when I sit down on it, and I mostly play in C and um, the relative minor, A minor, That because that was, like, the obvious, like, oh, here are all the easy notes to hit. But then I, I listened to a podcast uh, that Kirk Hamilton does where he does song analysis, uh, which I recommend highly. It's called Strong Songs. And I don't mm. remember the song, but it was a Stevie Wonder song. And apparently Stevie Wonder had a set, a series of songs it, that were hits that were all in E-flat minor. Kirk was hypothesizing that this is just because it's a really fun key to play in. Because it's just all the black keys plus a couple of white ones. You've got, the, you've got pentatonic minor and then a couple of... Um, a couple of white keys to fill it out uh and it's just really fun to like bang on those keys that are sticking up and i've been i've been yeah. jamming in in that in that key for i mean since since i heard that podcast basically that's my go-to like i'm gonna mess around in this key and it's been i've been digging it yeah it sounds good thank you sometimes our kid you know smashes on the keys yeah i don't play as much as i used to basically because winston no longer will sit there and patiently, patiently while i while i mess around Right. You know, before he knew how to move independently of us, he just was kind of at our mercy. Right. <laughs> like, we're going to sit at the piano now. And he's just like, well, I don't know how to move any other way. Right, so right. So I guess that's where we're at. <laughs> now he's like, I'm going to go put this thing in my mouth that's over I'm here I'm going to go corner. get involved in the show. That's an idea I think of a lot with keys. It's just like, what shape are you? Like, you can yeah. almost draw like a topographical line if you, of like, especially on a piano where like some keys are literally raised up higher of like what shape it is and like what different positions you're going to get to put your hand on throughout it. And something like C or a minor, which is all white keys is just a flat line. And there's nothing wrong with that, but like getting to be in all these different shapes. I don't know anything about what it's like to be a blind musician at all. I'm working on it. If you've seen me and you see my glasses (laughs) situation, you know, I'm on my way. 
You could go faster. (laughs) There's a lot of things I could do to really speed the process up. A lot of chemicals I could be pouring on my face on a daily basis. But uh, a lot of Ray Charles, uh, another blind pianist, a lot of his pieces are also in things like E-flat minor or G-flat major, other keys that Mm -hmm. use a lot of the black keys. And I wonder how much of that is just like... It's fun to play, but also it makes the key really kind of topographical. If that makes sense, it makes it like yeah, yeah. It's so many of the keys are raised. It's easier to maybe play just by touch because like I had that experience. If I play something with a lot of black keys in it, I have a much easier time not looking at the keyboard at all. Yeah, that makes sense. But it still doesn't. It doesn't negate the fun factor. I just wonder right. if in his case, if that's what he's doing. But like, yeah, I, I agree. I think I don't have like a favorite key in terms of sound. I have keys that I like to play in the most, and they're things like, uh, you know, G minor and, uh, you know, D flat are two of my favorites. And they're for that same reason, because they're just, this sounds so stupid for a career musician to say this and a 34 year old person to boot, but they're fun shapes. Yeah. And people like, <laughs> and people like fun shapes. And if you meet someone who won't admit that they like fun shapes, they're a liar. You see a dodecahedron, you're like, gotta have it. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind that. Do you have a favorite key, either of you, for in terms of sound? Because some people have that where it's like, this is, I like the sound of E major. No, I think people who believe they have a favorite key are fooling themselves. Uh, I don't know. I can't tell just listening to something what key it's in. So, no. Same. Yeah. <laughs> like, so impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, people that can do that are, I think, really rare. Yes. Yeah. And like, isn't I, that perfect pitch? That's perfect pitch. Yeah. That, isn't yeah. that really rare? It is incredibly rare. Do you have It's super pitch, rare. I don't. I have relative pitch. So if I okay. know what a note is or have hummed a note recently where I know what it is, like I can play a C on a piano and then figure out from that what other keys are. But like, I, I don't think you need perfect pitch to still know. Like if you sit down to jam in something, if you have, you know, enough music theory, you know enough about scales to just know what key you're in. You can still mm-hmm. like the sound of that key divorced from the Yeah, theory. that's fair. Yeah, I have no idea. I would I would hazard that it would be one of the minors because I tend to like sadder sounding music. You like to get dark. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Your local goth park ranger. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, With a tattoo covered in flowers. <laughs> There's a there and this happens a lot in, in audio is just People really ascribe they, they they seem to believe that they can hear a lot more than they actually than science says they actually can. The whole audiophile thing. Mm-hmm. So to you, it's it's like people who say the green M and M's taste different, <laughs> right? Or like Ryan, do you think you could tell if a song was in a a a four thirty two instead of a four forty? Absolutely not. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I could either. I don't even know what that is, but, but that's, that's cool. We don't like need to go you, into the weeds. If you tune your your chromatic scale down eight hertz, it is apparently like better tuned to the the the, the music of the spheres. Yeah, it's like the, the cosmic frequency. Like you make this minor like in the sky. Interesting. Also weird. Mm-hmm. There are people who consider it to be like the cosmic note, like A440. It's like the perfect tone that resonates with everything. <laughs> Is it like the brown tone or it's, whatever? It's like, the, it's like the brown tone, but it makes your mind poop and not your body. <laughs> uh, oh, I love a good mind poop. I've I've never been able to discern it. Yeah, yeah, me either. I was hanging out at a, um, a hacker space and somebody cornered me and started talking about his invention, which was, I couldn't tell if he was like, 
saying this as a joke or if he really wanted to build and market it, but he had invented a toilet seat that vibrates at the brown note. <laughs> now we're talking. This is what science is supposed to do in richer life. Uh, that would be so good for constipated people. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it would be a great service. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless unless it misfires and you can't shut it off and then... Oof. Oh, my God. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta call a regulatory agency and the police. <laughs> police, police! I can't stop pooping. Well, listen. I know from experience, you eventually run out of poop. <laughs> True. <laughs> I, I can tell you, you hit the bottom eventually. That barrel, and then it's just kind of like dry heaving with your butt. Oh. oh. I, don't, I don't feel good about it either. Trust me. You're putting the explicit tag right. You said already. You you already said. All right. Are we ready for the next topic? Yeah. Let's go back to the bucket. Yeah, this is our write-in topic. Uh, the muddler asks, what would happen if we outlawed moss botanically and culturally? Stoners in the woods would have a lot less to touch. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. So, somebody's doing something on this spreadsheet here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get really distracted on shared uh, spreadsheets uh, as an aside. So whenever I'm like reading oh, sorry. it, I'll just, I'll, reading just, it. I'll sit over here and make no, sure. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> I'm definitely just clicking random grids while I think about moss not existing or at least yeah, being illegal. So this is such a weird question. Like, <laughs> well, that's why I picked it. Yes. Okay. So if we outlaw, does that mean that we're like, we as a culture yeah, like, like some, go around like scrubbing we got, moss off We have off people with flamethrowers. What do we do about light? Because those are different things. Well, are people going to have to become so, experts in moss and lichen I and only take out the people the with the flamethrowers? Will have to maybe they'll have like the DNA test. Okay, so this is going to make a lot of people that I know in the park district really mad because moss and lichen, some of them are like super endangered, and yeah. there's some that are just like only exist in these really nope. tiny like zones and culturally we're gonna piss off a lot of old retired folks yeah yeah, yeah. because well, they're it's, the it's, only ones that have the time for this it's gotta happen we <laughs> it's i also <sighs> wonder when they say botanically i get what that means but when they say culturally do they mean like kate moss has to go like she's got it we have to launch her into space as well like any form of so oh kate moss i think you said cave and <laughs> i was like hmm. <laughs> no i mean like the famous lady I think it's important to note here, Moss is not capitalized. That's fair. Okay. So, so Kate Moss is safe, but yeah. we're going to destroy all the mo the rest of the moss right. in the world. Right. So I think most likely what would happen after we destroyed all the moss is that whatever the closest thing is that in that can fill that niche will flourish. Mm -hmm. Except that like anything else that's like that. Um, like, so, so this is what happens in general. If you remove something that is supposed to be in a, in a, like a biosphere, something else will flood in to fill that void. Right. And yeah. almost inevitably, it is not going to be something that is native to that area. It's going to be an invasive species that has been introduced by humans to a place that it shouldn't be. And it's going to run rampant and it's going to become, it's not going to have the same ecological characteristics. No, of the thing not it at all. It's going to become a monoculture it's going to be like uh, well like stinkwort well, that, or so that answers the question of what happens culturally yeah yeah it's bad and then basically it's all bad. you're going to do as a culture is 
fight this uphill battle of getting rid of barbed goat grass, for instance, which is something that we work on at my work. What I'm hearing from you is that you don't want this job creation proposal. Let me tell you something. (laughs) No one pays well or gives enough uh, personnel hours to do this job right. The first 98% takes a long time and the last 2% is basically impossible. And you would know. And this is why I put this question on this podcast, because you're the expert. <laughs> I'm not an expert. In fact, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm barely, I, I do not claim any expertise. Of, of all the lords. <laughs> of all the lords. <laughs> you are the moss lord of the three of us. It's true. <laughs> no, I'm, the, I'm the moss beast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just a really bad idea. No, well, listen. It's a bad idea. We're not here to judge whether it's a good idea or not. Uh, I am. Okay. <laughs> You don't tell me who to judge. <laughs> yeah, we're here to judge what would happen. And what would happen is April would exclaim out loud, this is a really bad idea. Exactly. So, we're bad still idea. within the spirit of the question. got to start going to these town hall meetings. It's <laughs> true. I'm going to yell is... at all the people who are like, what's outlaw moss? No. Bad. <laughs> bad boy. Or girl. I don't know who the muddler is. Bad person. <laughs> Ooh, that's way harsher than bad boy or girl. Oh, oh you're right. I'm sorry, the muddler. I, I think an AI wrote this question. That's very good. Either that or one of those things that you make mimosas with. Oh, I get I, it. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Jeez. That was a lot of dead air. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just frantically trying to think of the drink you actually meant, which I'm pretty sure is a mojito, but I didn't want to be the guy to say oh, it. Oh, you're right. Can you tell that I don't drink? (laughs) (laughs) Shit, sorry. A a mimosa is the thing with like champagne, right? It's just champagne and orange juice. So if you're if you're muddling something, you you really you beefed it somewhere. No, I think you're just making it fancy. You're just it's fancy. You grind the pulp at the bottom, and it releases the essences. I'm just ahead of the curve. (laughs) You just you you don't drink, but you know so much about it that it would be dangerous if you did. So I get it. <laughs> um, I feel like with our luck as a species, especially if this happened in like America and our government was the one to be like, no more moss, it would be it would turn out moss is like the linchpin to like global biological harmony. Yeah, yeah. I mean here's that's the thing though with ecosystems is they're all important. Are you sure? Yeah. I know you're the expert here, but like <laughs> if we didn't if we didn't have like I don't know, man. Like, wormwort. If that went away, I f- don't you think we'd be all right? So, as an expert, April, so don't you I'm think just going to okay? throw this out here as some homework for the listeners. You should look up how reintroducing wolves to Yosemite, uh, not Yosemite, um, Yellowstone has um, reinvigorated the landscape and completely changed the landscape. Um, for the better. Um, Send this, me a link. I'll put it in the show yeah, notes. Uh, uh, there's, there's, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Cool. It would be nice if we could get rid of uh, lice. They only live on humans. Wow. If if we got rid of the lice, the humans would just proliferate and be, they would dom- come to dominate <laughs> the planet. They'd be so <laughs> dominant and not itchy. <laughs> All the time they don't spend itching, they would spend reproducing. <laughs> yes. Just a huge population boom, <laughs> even though children are the ones who mostly have lice. Uh, all right. Uh, Ryan. 
Uh, you have here Monster Cabinet is a robot hell you can pay to go to in Berlin. Why don't we have these? I mean, maybe we do because Germany's entire nation is the size of like the state that I came from. My my wife and I and some friends were in Germany uh, a couple years ago, and in Berlin there's this place called Monster Cabinet with a K, and it's sort of advertised on their flyer as like a Tim Burton esque like hall of freaky looking robot creations that you can go see um uh-huh. and we were like this is weird and let's c- totally go do it and we get there and i'm imagining it's going to be like kind of lame but like i'm still excited to do it and like it is the most loked out like carnival of souls like the guy at the front of it is literally wearing like shiny pants and crazy mascara and a top hat and like gloves and like the whole thing yes. and, and that's the uniform yes. every worker has to wear that <laughs> Like everybody was, everybody was everything. And so we try to go in and it's like a basement. You go downstairs, but below ground to get into monster cabinet. And he goes, Oh, I'm so sorry, mother. She's not ready yet. So you, you will have to wait. And we were like mother. And he's like, yes, mother's not ready. And that's all he said is mother isn't ready and did not elaborate. And so we waited around for an hour and we got food and, and, and stuff. And right when we were about to leave, he was like, okay, Muzza is ready for you now. And he looked kind of unsure about it. And we found out very quickly why that was. And we went into Monster Cabinet. And Monster Cabinet is a delightful nightmare. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like, oh, here's like an animatronic George Washington. Um, no. So the very first thing that happens is that we find out what Mother is. And Mother is a giant robotic spider uh, about the size of like a very small car, like a smart car. Uh-huh. Uh, and it has very pointy metal legs and it's not attached to a wall or a fixture. It's just free roaming and it's <gasps> in our way and we can't get into the front door because mother's there. And I quickly find out why mother wasn't ready and kind of still isn't ready because mother's going like, bleh, 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 and it's like making that sound and banging all eight of her pointy metal legs on the ground really loud. And then at one point she... We can't get by her, so we're just watching her convulse and flip out. And then she, one of her legs kicks an aluminum folding chair and sends it flying across the room into the back of the chair of one of the guys secretly operating mother. And he goes, Jesus. So, like, oh my gosh. I, I am so hoping this is just part of the show. No. Because they looked very worried and it, <laughs> it flew into the back of a technician's body. And he was like, Gah! So. Finally, she kind of vibrated like a like a cheap hotel bed, like out of the way enough for us to continue. Uh, and they had a robot that like taught us how to speak the language of sex, as they put it, which, which was just French. It turned out um, they, had, they, had a, <laughs> they had a robot that was like a one person like rock band and it was like stuck in this wall and it had like crazy like proboscis lips that stuck out at you and there was a strobe light and they it was screaming and you couldn't understand what it was being said and all i remember is my friend who hated this whole experience standing in the crowd and every time the light strobed on i would just see this pair of giant kissy like lady robot lips one inch from her face while she's just making a like i hate everything about this i don't want to be here (laughs) face um (laughs) and they take us through like every robot's like that Everybody's, it's not just like, here's like a space robot. It's like, here's a robot that like understands like the language of the cosmos and knows how to use chopsticks better than you'll ever use them. And it's like, who came up with that? And then you get to the end and it's a giant mirrored room. It's like, it's pretty huge. It's like the size of a a really big apartment. And there's a 
globular amorphous. It looks like six or seven Jabba the Huts stuck together with tentacles. It's all fleshy and nasty. Um, and several of the tentacles are holding instruments, <laughs> like a, a weird Tim Burton guitar and a weird Tim Burton drum set. And it just thrashes and plays like German industrial metal. We have to like listen to a whole song for three minutes while this giant mound mountain of flesh plays a song for us while lights are freaking out. And then our Mater D, like the guy in the top hat and like the striped pants and everything, once that's done, we realize like the exhibit doesn't keep going. This is as far as you can get. There's not like an exit. And then he literally just looked at us and kind of shrugged and went, okay, now try to escape. And he said it like that, like he was bored. <laughs> we went, what? He handed you a crossbow and, you <laughs> and deployed mother. <laughs> mother deployed well that was how it ended and i really still think this was see we heard the guy mutter like Shaisa, like when she came back but you have to go back through the hall of robots which are now all freaking out and like smashing symbols together and the lights are flickering and it's like a whole thing uh and then right as we're about to leave like mother's back baby <laughs> like she and she remembers us and she wants to drink our blood and we had to just wait until she like finished convulsing and vibrating kind of out of our way and like sidle out the door um so i guess my question is like why don't we have that why don't we have those? I, Why aren't they I everywhere like White Castles? Did. I want to go back to Germany just to go to Monster Cabinet now. That sounds really good. It sounds like, like, like so it sounds like it might be a liability thing. Like it may be that <laughs> uh, like Germans are less like lawsuity. That's probably at actually is definitely true of Europeans are less lawsuity. That's yeah. true. <laughs> if a giant spider um, caves in your chest, you're just like, yeah. well, that's what I get for going to Monster Cabinet. We, it's cool. We've got free health care. Yeah. When I, um, <laughs> when, I, when I went to Ireland, we went to this uh, tiny little uh, island off of Ireland that uh, I can't remember the name of, but it's where their fancy sweaters come from. Um, oh, Cardigan. <laughs> No. No, it's not. Okay. No. No. <laughs> no. Oh, cashmere. No. Stop. But we went on this little adventure and we found this like old ancient fort that had been built like literally like, I don't know, in the Middle Ages or something like that. And it's just a 200 meter cliff in straight into the ocean. And you can just walk right up to it. Oh, that that would not fly here. And... I was amazed that there was no railing. There were no signs selling you to keep back. Like I yeah. work for a park district and I cannot tell, like literally we, we have this, like this one group camp where someone um, was burned at um, because they touched the fire ring and there was a lawsuit because of it. And because of that, we had to change like all of our policies for how we deal with firings. And we had to put up no running, no playing signs around that fire ring. Like literally telling people that they can't have fun in the campground because the last time someone had fun, they got sued for a lot of money. And so now they have to, for liability reasons, put up the sign that says like, hey, we told them not to run. Yeah. I told him not to play, you know, like yeah. that's just like our response for something is like, here, let's put up this sign. Let's um, cover our butts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super, you know, obviously what happened is super sad, but like, that's the response. Whereas like, I feel like in Ireland, if somebody like fell off of that cliff, they would be like, well, what did the, you know, they shouldn't have walked so close. 
you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. You can just, you know, like, you can see it's a cliff. Like, yeah. don't step off of it, right? So, we, mm-hmm. we went, when we were in Portland, we went to, um, I forget the name of the place, but it was this big log fall. Oh, that, yeah. That was basically a tourist attraction that had a bunch of signs saying, don't go in here. Oh, yeah. It's a huge log jam, uh, and you have to climb over it. And it's um, and it's slick it's, because it's wet because there's a river running through it. Right, and, and beyond it is this really nice walk to a waterfall. And you would hope because there's uh, signs saying "Don't go in there" that it would be nice and secluded. But it's it's super packed all yeah. the time. Huge attraction. But there's signs saying like "It's dangerous. Don't go in here" because they have to. Right. Because those logs can move at any time. Right. And so like we do have things like that here. We just have signs saying we do. Saying, yeah. don't do this. Yeah, we, yeah. It was actually really refreshing not to have a sign there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just like very common sense, like, yeah, you know, the world is dangerous. Yeah. I also don't know, like, how you get there from here, even if we all agreed that less explicit warnings is better, um, because people have grown up in the, in the United States, people have grown up believing that, like, if there's not a warning sign... It's probably pretty safe. Yeah. Like, even if it looks unsafe, they would definitely have to put up a warning sign sure, if it was not. Sure, Yeah, that's fair. It, I mean, I think just as a culture, that's just where we're at. You know? Yeah. Uh, but it is definitely refreshing to find things like Monster Cabinet, where you might get nailed by a chair flying across the room because you can't control a crazy mo- mother. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'd, I'd get hit by a chair. Hey, hey, you've got a, you've got to bear my next child. Hey, <laughs> so hey, so what? So careful with all that equipment. I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll see about that, Mister. It was never that dangerous. This thing was clearly on the fritz. But I, I do like. I think April's right. Like that. It's just refreshing to be like. They didn't go. Well, this is busted and acting weird. So let's not let people in. They went. Let's see what happens because again, Germany, yeah. Let's, and like, it'll imagine probably if, be okay. It'll probably be okay. And like, what if that's how I went down? Like, right? Why didn't Ryan come back with you? <laughs> oh, a giant matriarchal robo spider stabbed him in the neck with a pointy leg. Like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, that would be amazing. Like, I didn't want to die yes. that night, but that would have been so cool. Yeah, you know, there's something to be said about a cool death. About a cool, inscrutable death where people stop and yeah. look at your tombstone. They're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what there happened? Really is. Yeah. Just a video on your tombstone of what you of like an, what actually like an happened animated to you. GIF. Like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, a <laughs> get, bunch of articles like, from Der Spiegel. Alicia can like... just get like your favorite artist to like make a little animated video of how you of how you met your doom. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys ready for the next topic? Sure. Let a ride. So let's talk about Dance Monkey by The Tones and I. All right, so this is my topic. Um, so this is a song that I heard on the radio because I listen to the radio at work, um, which is like I basically yeah who, yeah. who listens to the radio now? I do. Um, Park Rangers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness, so many of them listen to NPR. So you know. But anyways, um, I'm I, I I used to listen to NPR before I stopped listening to the news. Um, 
Dance Monkey is this song by this girl. I think her name is like Tony. Anyways, like the Tones and I. Tones and I is like a pun on her name. Oh, cool. um, and she's like this 19 year old girl that like just was a busker in Australia. Um, and she just like put out an EP and it like just really like took off in Australia and then slowly all across the world. And I heard this song and I was just fascinated by this woman's voice. And you can't like this, this song is really just about the vocals. I feel like, um, you can't even really like pay attention to the rest of the song because she sings in such a weird freaking style. Yeah. Am I right. Yeah. It, it sounded like if, I don't know, if Joanna Newsom was doing Aretha Franklin. It is just fascinating to me. And I just keep listening to the song, wondering how the hell does she make her voice do that? Like, <laughs> at like every note, basically. Because I can't think of another singer who sings like that. I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. Um, it's just like, it's kind of growly, but it's also like, kind of like she's like swallowing her vowels a little bit. Like, yeah, I think a lot of it, it like comes from like the, the Appalachian style. Like Ryan, do you know, you you probably, you're educated about this stuff. What's your analysis? Let's not get crazy. I, (laughs) well, the thing is like, aren't aren't you a doctor? (laughs) I play one on TV. Are you? Uh, I, (laughs) I um so the thing is like I'm not a vocalist. I've I've worked with people a couple who have kind of a I don't want to use the word raspy, but I think that's as close as I can get to her kind of sort of smoky, you know, vocal tone that she has going on that is very unique. And yeah. I don't know I don't know what it is. I can't pin down a region. I can't pin down that it's a technique that anyone's trying. It she almost sounded like kind of like Ellie Golding or Lord, if they were really upbeat and knew how to do weird kind of glottal inflections on top of everything else, like way in the back of her throat. So it could be a technique yeah. she's doing, but it is really unique and it makes sense that she would blow up so fast. It's just really like, I don't know. I can't get this, this song out of my head. And like, there's nothing like super amazing about this song, right? It's very like poppy and like, you know, the, the, the like a lot of the time, like, of any sort of art actually is just it, it can be just about a single thing and the thing single thing could be like maybe you really like this person's voice and you can even think of it as like maybe the song and i i think it's a good song but you could say like maybe this song isn't that great maybe what this really is is just like the equivalent of like having a pin calendar pin up on the wall except it's a pin up of her voice sure yeah, that makes sense. Just this element is really working. So I also agree it's a really good song, and I wonder if it's the other people I could point at that that kind of blew up that have a voice kind of like hers. Not that she's not unique. Mm-hmm. Do really different right. styles of music, right? Like yeah. almost everybody else pours it into this kind of laid back, chill sort of sad sort of vibe. In my experience, and I haven't heard anyone with her vocal tone do a music video where you all dress up as old people and you ruin a golf course. <laughs> while singing a really upbeat <laughs> song about it. Well, I, I would I would watch that Joanna Newsom video. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This just this song like keeps you know, I I keep just thinking about it. You know, I'll be like driving home and I'll be like, oh man, it'd be really cool if that song would come on the radio and then I'll be like, oh right. I've got Pandora. 
Oh wait, I can't <laughs> yeah. choose. I can't choose a song with Pandora. Are you guys ready to call it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think, I think so. so. Oh my god! Stop it, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I just love cells. I love. I'm playing like a miniature game of Snake in the uh, uh, spreadsheet uh-huh. right now, and it's inherent just to me. Yeah. <laughs> are you getting Are you getting nervous the closer I get to you? Ah, he's gonna get me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for being on, guys. Uh, it's good to talk to you, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, do you guys have a sign-off for this show? Do you do like a, a cute little something at the end? Uh, I I have a little jingle that I paste in at the end, and then like a I have a clip that I where I explain like here's how you can email the topic bucket, and what well, would you rate us on iTunes and things like that. But we don't have a we don't have a catchphrase. Would you like to invent one? I, I didn't sign up for that. I just want to know if you did the work already. <laughs> I thought maybe like you were like feeling inspired and you were just going to like bang one out on the piano. Like, no, right I really, I really gave you guys like the vocal, the vocal perception that I was about to unleash a really sweet sign off. And I, uh, I got nothing for you. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like here at, here at top. What are we? What are you? Topic beast. What is it? I'm, <laughs> what, I'm the, the beast bucket. Wait, the, you're the beast the, lord. I'm the beast lord. <laughs> no, but like what I'm, the, I'm the topic lord. <laughs> you're the topic bucket, Ryan. Yeah, which is what I wanted from the beginning. Thank you for giving to us all your topics. Yeah. I'm sorry we didn't get is. to why can't we run in a non-athletic setting? I was really proud of that one, but I'll come on again. Yeah. He, he'll probably be back on someday. Yeah. So. yeah. Maybe I definitely I'll be would love back to. On too. Yeah. Yeah. We got the topics. You okay. got the got the ears. You do something. There it is. There it is. You do something you with that. Fill it in. fill in the blank. We got the topics. You got the ears. It's, Good night. It, it's perfect. <laughs> Adios, friends. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can discuss the episodes at the Topic Lords subreddit at r slash Topic Lords. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can find me on the Fediverse as mogwai underscore poet at mastodon.social. Also, I'm on Twitter. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.